Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us for Outkick 360 across the Outkick network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick360. We get asked the question, or at least I do, what's a great draft guide that's not just thorough, but actually worth paying for? It's the beast at The Athletic, and it's from Dane Brugler, who is, is as thorough of a draft analyst as you will find out there uh, this time of year and year round. You can follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Dane, it is great to have you back on in what is uh, the, the Christmas season for you. Now that the, the draft guide is published, it's out, it's available at The Athletic. Uh, what is life like for you now? Uh, it's great to be back on with you guys. It, it's it's funny. The only thing longer than the, the draft guide is, is the honeydew list that's waiting for me uh, from the wife. Now that I'm back in civilization, uh, but you know, it was fun to you know release the guide yesterday. The feedback's been awesome. Um, you know, I'm at, at my heart, I'm a big NFL draft fan, and so I try to create something that I would want to read, that I would find interesting. And I'm a big believer in the details, uh, you know, uh, everything from games started to all the testing information. And that's it's especially important this year with no combine. So I made it a point that every single pro day uh, NFL verified pro day results for 600 players are in this guide. And so, you know, it's, it's something I think any draft fan, any any football fan will enjoy. Dave Brugler with us on Outkick 360. Dane. When is the last time you, you talked this little about the number one overall prospect in the NFL draft? Even going back to, for instance, Andrew Luck. We were right. debating, at least discussing Andrew Luck versus RG3. No one is having the debate about Trevor Lawrence right now. Yeah, and even last year, we knew it was going to be Joe Burrow, but we still talked about it because he was coming off this historic season and, you know, we're debating different things with Joe Burrow. But, you know, we knew he was going one. Trevor Lawrence, it's a foregone conclusion. He is going to be a Jacksonville Jaguar. Uh, you know, I don't think Urban Meyer takes that job uh, unless that's the case. So, you know, it's – and really, I think we're getting to the point where the draft starts at three. I think we, we know that Trevor Lawrence is going one, and we feel very strongly that Zach Wilson will be number two to the Jets. What do the 49ers do at three? That's where the intrigue really starts to heat up. That, that's where things get really interesting. So, so let's go to three. Uh, Mac Jones conceivably worth the third pick to you. Trey Lance uh, with a, a limited resume. Where do you think the 49ers go there? What do you think about the qualities of those two guys, one of whom prompted a, a monstrous trade? Yeah, it, like these these guys are they're ice cream flavors. You know, they're all good, but it's just what's your flavor? What are you looking for? And you know, it's easy to look at uh, the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan has worked with in the past and say, okay, you know, Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins and, you know, th these guys, Mac Jones fits, that that works. Um, but you also hear Kyle Shanahan talk about 
the evolution of the position and how important it is to have these big athletes who uh, you know you can develop and you're looking towards Trey Lance, you're looking towards Justin Fields. I don't. I, I mean, I think there's we we don't know who the pick is going to be, but we at least know that you know Kyle Shanahan is not going to Mac Jones pro day unless he's interested. That's not happening. Kyle Shanahan does not go to many pro days, and he didn't go to see Devontae Smith. He didn't go to see Najee Harris. He went to see the quarterback. It is interesting that next week in Columbus, Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers will be there for Justin Fields' second pro day. And the way it's working this year is there's no private workouts or anything like that. There's only pro days. So any team can attend next week in Columbus. So it'll be interesting to see what other teams are there for that. But the 49ers will be there. So, again, they're not making that trip unless they're interested in the quarterback. So we're still kind of left reading the tea leaves and trying to figure it out, connect the dots. But I think you can make a case for either one of these guys. With Mac Jones, I think, you know, it's if you're going to list the most important qualities at quarterback, where does it start? Accuracy, decision-making. And you could argue Mac Jones is better in those two areas than the rest of these guys. It just, is he good enough in those other areas? Talking about mobility and arm strength and these other areas that it takes to be a winning NFL quarterback. So I can understand, uh, you know, the Mac Jones love, why, you know, Kyle Shanahan would want him. I, I, he's my fifth quarterback. I'd much rather take the high upside traits guys that are very accurate players like Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but I can at least understand why Mac Jones would be the direction they could go. Well, and Dane, let's get into the ice cream flavor of Justin Fields, your, your fourth rated quarterback on the list. He seems like a guy, you know, it's kind of now running joke about momentum in pre-draft buildup, whether the guys are rising or falling. But it does feel like Justin Fields is one of those guys that, for whatever reason, you would have said at the end of the season, he's the clear-cut number two quarterback taken. He's number four on your list. But a guy that's not getting as much talk in the positive as, let's say, a Mac Jones that we just discussed. What do you see in Justin Fields? What could he bring to an NFL team? Yeah, and I think it, you know it's become to the point where if you don't have Justin Fields too, you hate him. You think he's terrible. You know, like that—that's the—that's the kind of you know uh, microwave, uh, you know, this little uh, world we live in when it comes to the NFL draft and these quarterbacks, especially. I would absolutely feel comfortable taking Justin Fields with the top ten pick. Do I prefer Zach Wilson? Yes, I do. And uh, you know, it really comes down. Obviously, so much goes into these evaluations and projections but if i had to boil it down uh to like a, a simple you know boilerplate this is it, it with zach wilson this is a bill walsh thing goes back with bill walsh something he always talked about uh you know you're looking for what separates the good from the great quarterbacks is the ability to make that great spontaneous decision and when you watch zach wilson you see that you see a guy that off platform uh you know that whip of an arm He's very accurate. He makes those spontaneous decisions uh, routinely and effortlessly. And he's not a perfect player by any means. There, he will escape the pocket way too early. Uh, you wish you were just a little bit bigger uh, body type wise. So, you know, there's plenty of reasons why, you know, Zach Wilson, there, there's you know issues with him. But compared to Justin Fields, he's a lot more methodical with the way he operates. And that's not necessarily saying he can't be successful. Yeah, he absolutely can be. Uh, successful at the pro level he's a big athlete who is an accurate thrower especially when things are in structure when everything's on time he's very efficient very accurate when things get off structure that that's where he can you know struggle a little bit he's more methodical needs to be a little more urgent with his eyes 
going from read to read, things like that. And I think he can get there because he's a bright player. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, it's a little more of a projection with Justin Fields. So, you know, this is a guy that when the Big Ten canceled their season, he didn't opt out. He didn't bolt. He said, here, here's a petition. Let's go fight this. I want to play. Uh, he was so eager to show the the uh, improvements that he made from his sophomore year. So uh, big fan of Justin Fields. He, in, a, in a quarterback class like this, he just happens to be my fourth guy. So we already discussed Mac Jones. I want to get into one other SEC quarterback, Kyle Trask. He's seventh on your list. You mentioned accuracy and decision-making with Mac Jones. I saw a lot of that with Trask at Florida as well. What do you think of Trask? How big is the drop-off from Jones at five on your list to Trask at seven? I think there's a pretty sizable drop myself. Um, I, I think if you're drafting – Mac Jones, I think you project as a starter in this league. Kyle Trask, to me, is, is Mason Rudolph. A guy that is a backup who can come in and start games if you need him to. Um, I, the lack of mobility is a big issue for me with Trask. He's just he's heavy-footed. He's not going to be a guy that creates those second reaction throws very often. But there's plenty to like about him. Like you said, he he understands touch timing very well. Smart. He's well built. He's a tough competitor. There's a lot of things you can sell me on with Kyle Trask, but the lack of he doesn't have that big time arm and the lack of mobility is a big issue uh, for me. That's why to me, he's just more of that backup who I, I don't think a team is drafting Kyle Trask saying he's going to be the future of our franchise at the most important position on the roster. Dane Brugler with us from the athletic. And of course the draft guide, the beast, which is available through your subscription at the athletic. It is fantastic. Over 600 prospects, ranked and you can see everything through the 2021 NFL draft guide uh, you see it there 636 prospects 415 scouting reports you want this on your screen it's available in PDF form as well uh, on draft night and in your prep leading up for your favorite team selection you can follow Dane on Twitter at DP Brugler Dane Trey Lance um, 42 touchdowns, I believe, to zero interceptions. That was two years ago in 2019. He then played in one game last year and has entered the draft early. When you watch him, uh, my untrained eye, I can watch a 17-minute highlight video of him, and there's only 17 games to choose from. Uh, I see a lot of one read and take off and go. But that may also be what he's asked to do, given the ease at which he makes things look at the level he was playing in. I'm curious to get your evaluation of him and how you factor all those things in to your evaluation of Lance. Right, and, and, and you're very, I think you're spot on by saying that. Context is so important when you talk about these quarterbacks. You know, Justin Fields, a lot of times he's locking onto a read and staring him down and waiting for it to come open. But that's on that particular play, that's what he's supposed to do. That's what the coaches are asking him to do. It's that, that specific play is designed to create space for that specific receiver. And so Fields is just waiting for it to come open. It's a similar thing with Trey Lance, based off of what he was asked to do by uh, you know that, uh, that play call. And North Dakota State is, the bread and butter for that team is always gonna be the run game. Um, and that's something that worries me a little bit, because when you look at it, you take his 17 starts. He averaged over those 17 starts, 18.6 pass attempts per game. As a team, they averaged 45 rush attempts per game. So he was not asked to be, you know, put everything on his shoulders and make things happen. They, I, he played from behind, I think, only once in the fourth quarter in those 17 starts. So this, he's just an unprecedented evaluation. 
we've never we've seen guys from the FCS level before, obviously, uh, you know, be big time prospects. Carson Wentz, uh, you know, you go back all the way to Steve McNair. But for a guy to be this talented, but have such meager experience, it just it just makes it really tough. He's a really smart guy, a really sharp guy. Uh, but in, he hasn't been playing the position at a high level very long. He was a running back in middle school. Uh, Minnesota recruited him as a safety. Uh, not many quarterbacks are playing safety as seniors in high school, but that's what Trey Lance was doing, uh, you know, playing at a small school in Minnesota. So uh, it's just a really intriguing player who has yet to play his best football. You just have to figure out, okay, what's his ceiling and what do we have the infrastructure to get him there? And I think that's what teams are grappling with right now. You look at Atlanta sitting there at number four, they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? Are we, and I think this is, we're going to figure out who has more sway in that building, the head coach or the general manager. If they draft a quarterback, the general manager won. And, you know, just, he's thinking long-term he's thinking, I don't think we're going to be picking top five very often. Let's get our quarterback now. The head coach, he's in lockstep with Matt Ryan saying, we've got two years with this guy. Let's go win. Let's go compete. Let's trade down, get a bundle of picks and get better for right now. So Trey Lance, Justin Fields. If Mac Jones does go three, things get really interesting with uh, with Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Just where do they land? Does a team trade up to number four? Denver, are they in the conversation? Uh, you know, Carolina making that move for Sam Darnold. Does that tell us that, uh, you know, that they were not high on uh, a, Sam, or a, a Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Or, or could they possibly? I don't think you could completely rule out quarterback uh, there at number eight for Carolina. They, they throw as many assets as you can at the position until you get it right. I mean, that, that's a, a, at least in the realm of possibility, even though I don't think it's likely. So the quarterback conversation in the top 10, especially after those top two guys, it, it just gets really fascinating. Looking for a bit of a compare and a contrast, if you will, with your fourth and fifth wide receivers, Kadarius Toney and Rashad Bateman. Uh, similar speed, similar size, different kind of guys. You have them as first or second rounders. I'm thinking they could go in, in the 20s. Um, but different, different kind of players. What are teams getting with these two guys if they're looking for receivers maybe in the 20s or 30s? Yeah, you're, you're right. Very different styles of player. With Kadarius Toney, uh, he, he's just a magician. You know, when you watch him, it's, you kind of – you can hear him saying in his mind, okay, for my next trick, and he just, because somehow he's making these guys miss and he's uh, create, creating all these missed tackles all over the field. Uh, the flexibility, the one-step burst that he has is unique. It's very different than what you're uh, used to seeing. And so whoever drafts Kadarius Tony, the fan base, you know, go to YouTube, type in Kadarius Tony highlights, and you're going to get, you're going to get excited. You're going to get jacked for what he's going to bring to your offense. Now, he's a former quarterback in high school, and he was actually listed as an athlete on the Florida roster in the last four years. So he's been more of a gadget player, uh, and he's still – he's shown steady progression as a route runner and, you know, just in terms of getting off you know, with his releases, getting off the line of scrimmage, getting open downfield. Uh, but he's still not there yet. Where Rashad Bateman, he's the opposite. He is more of that season-savvy route runner, a guy that – understands how to leverage coverage you know that keenan allen michael thomas type of mold um a guy that i don't think he necessarily plays up to his time speed he ran a, a 441 uh, which is a really really good time obviously i don't think he plays up to that speed consistently but he's a guy that understands how to beat coverage how to find their blind spots 
Um, and he, he's very seasoned player. So I, I think you're looking at two very different styles of player. One with, with Kadarius Tony, he's going to be more of your yak threat, a guy you just try to get him the football. He'll take a, maybe more steps than you want as he tries to get open, but he's going to get open. Bateman, more of your savvy player who can win downfield. So two different styles, but two really good players. Dane, compare Devontae Smith's route running and nuance for the position to wide receivers of previous years. Where, where, where do you go about evaluating that aspect of his game? And how much do you factor in that he, he's 175 pounds? You know, it matters. Um, and it's, it's the answer that's going to be different from team to team. Some teams are going to say, I don't care. I saw him in the SEC start double-digit games the last three years. He avoided major injury. I will gladly take my chances on Devontae Smith. Then you're going to have other teams that are going to say, he's the outlier, and we're not going to bet on an outlier in the first round. You know, we at certain points in the draft, we'll bet on outliers, but not the first. And so there's just differing opinions on, on 170-pound receiver, especially when you're talking about a, probably a top 10 pick, uh, top 12 pick to get uh, Devontae Smith. I think, you know, you go back to last year in the first round. Justin Jefferson uh, out of LSU had a remarkable rookie season. And a big part of that was just how uh, polished he was as a route runner. And that's what you see with Devontae Smith. His gliding speed, his ability to uncover, he's he's very skilled at that. It's something that it's almost like a dance. And he's and he's very advanced uh, for, a, for a player that's not taken an NFL snap yet, who has not received NFL coaching. Uh, there's a very little wasted motion in his movements. Um, you know, he can create after the catch. It, he probably has the best ball skills uh, of any receiver in this draft. There's so much going for him. It's just you have to get past the, the fact that he's 170 pounds. Uh, he just doesn't have that body type that you necessarily want. And this isn't a case where, oh, just get him to an NFL team. He'll put on 10 pounds. He'll get up to 180. He just doesn't have the body type for that. And, you know, he's coming. It's not like he's coming from Alabama State. He's coming from Alabama that. You know, they breed these guys, and if, if he could put on more more weight, he would have already to this point. So he is what he is. He, he's a 170-pound receiver who, you know, if he takes some hard shots, you know, maybe it's going to take him uh, a little bit to get up, but uh, he avoided major injury in, in, in college, and at some point in the first round, he just becomes too enticing to pass up. So, Dane, I've got a case study for you. Good player, good prospect in a bad offense with really bad quarterback play. And I'm talking about Josh Palmer at Tennessee, just specifically with him as a prospect, but also how difficult is it to rate a guy, to evaluate a guy that's clearly just in a bad system, but you can see the potential. Yeah, and, and that's uh, that's where context matters when you're watching the tape on these guys uh, and understanding, okay, who are they facing? Who's throwing the football? Uh, you know, just how is the offense designed to work? What are they asking of this player? Uh, you know, all that matters. And with Josh Palmer, the inconsistent quarterback play certainly plays a part. Uh, you know, a guy that he was, you know, a, a starter the last four years, and he has under 100 career catches at Tennessee. That's obviously like, you know, why is that? And you look at the quarterback uh, position and how, you know, just the inconsistency at, at that level, uh, that certainly plays a part. You watch him against Alabama, go up against Patrick Sertan, and you see a guy that can stack and win vertically, uh, tracks the ball really well. Um, you didn't see him create after the catch very much. I don't, I don't think that's his game. That's not where he's at his best. 
but a guy that can win off the line and he ran a four five one at the pro day. I thought he'd run a little bit better. I thought he'd be in the four fours at least, but at the same time, he's still a guy that can, that can win vertically and win over the top. So I don't know that he's going to go in the top 100 picks. Uh, It's a very loaded wide receiver group this year, just like last year. And that just might be the norm from now on. But somewhere early day three, I think team's going to get an excellent value uh, with Josh Palmer. You've got Zayvon Collins as your third linebacker. You break it down, linebackers and edge rushers. I know NFL teams really like versatile guys. I like guys that come into the league, though, and have a defined thing to rely on at least. Um, Do you think some teams will cast him as an edge rusher? And uh, what kind of teams would those be? How How do you see him? fitting sure and i think yeah it'd be different from the team to team uh you know teams that run you know predominantly like a three four where they've got an odd front and they just move their linebackers around you could use it as zavin collins as as your sam and uh you know let him put his hand on the ground on third downs or pass uh, uh, passing downs or uh you know let him line up as a mic and just do these different things i think you get to look at the versatility as a, a selling point as something that you can really tap into uh to get your best personnel on the field and zavin collins is so rare because he's 6'5 260 pounds that's uh, that that's 10 pounds bigger than aziz Ajulari, who's my top ranked edge rusher in this class uh but he's still tested like uh you know better than a lot of linebackers that are 20 pounds lighter so he's big he can move uh i think the versatility is is a big selling point with him you just you you need to have a plan if you draft him you know how are you going to use him don't just you can't just draft him and say well he can do a little bit of everything and throw him in you have to have a plan with your defensive coordinator and say this is exactly what he's going to be for us on first and ten, third and three all these different situations this is how we envision him fitting in our defense and then making sure that you feel comfortable with you know his mental capacity and what he knows what he doesn't know where does he need to develop all those things but this is a player who you know he was his high school valedictorian growing up in uh in oklahoma um you know the coaches speak really high of just what he was able to do and so there's a, there's a lot to like about Zayvon Collins. I don't think it's going to take much to sell yourself on what he can bring to your defense. Dane, a couple years back, Jeffrey Simmons was a top 10, some said a top 5 prospect. He fell all the way to the Titans because of injury, because of the ACL and the pre-draft process. Caleb Farley this year at corner has a pre-draft injury, microdisectomy, I believe, is a, a yep. back surgery, and then he opted out last year due to COVID. Could he be in that same boat this year where he falls down to the bottom of the first round simply because of the injury and how much value is in that player at, at in the 20s? If we're just talking about ability and throw out the medical stuff, uh, Caleb Farley is an easy top 10 player in this draft, in my opinion. Um, he's, he's really interesting because he was a quarterback in high school. He goes to Virginia Tech as a wide receiver never played corner in his life until two years ago, the uh, 2018 season opener against Florida state. He had two picks in that game. So this is a, a, you watch, you know, and he opted out this past year. So we're talking about a guy with only two seasons of experience at corner, but throw on the Miami tape from last year. And the speed that he plays with is so impressive. The burst is, uh, it's just different than most corners. And this is a guy that's six to 200 pounds. 33 and a half inch arms he's huge so i'm betting on those traits all day now the medical stuff that's where it gets dicey um and it's not like this uh you know this this back issue is the only thing 
he also had uh, back surgery uh, back in, I think it was the 2019 season. Yeah, he missed the final two mm. games in 2019, had offseason surgery. He also had an ACL um, when he first arrived in 2017. So it adds up, and you know that that has to factor into your decision making about where you feel comfortable taking a player. That you know, with Jeffrey Simmons, uh, you know, aside from any of the off-field stuff, just the injury stuff, it was just that one ACL. With Farley, it's a little bit more than that. We're talking about two back procedures and an ACL previously in college. So it's it, it just going to come down to the medicals. Uh, you know, what are the, the trainers? What are the medical staff telling you? Do they feel good about when he's going to be ready? Is he going to be ready for training camp? Is he going to be ready for the start of the season? That factors in as well. But at some point, late first round, probably maybe even this early second round, you're talking about getting a great value on a, a, a premium talent in this class who could end up absolutely being a steal because of these medicals. Najee Harris and, and Travis Etienne ranked atop your running back board. Two different types of backs. Scheme fits very much so. Which back fits more schemes? Which back in your mind is a first-round pick for sure? I don't know that either of these are a first-round pick for sure. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, it's certainly possible. I think, I think right now Vegas is saying one and a half over under on running backs in the first round. And I think if I had to put money on it right now, I'd say under, uh, just because I think we're to see a lot of teams look at, uh, you know, the other uh, positions of need tackle and pass rusher and these, these other positions that are strong in that late first round range. Um, and, you know, maybe Pittsburgh, uh, what pick 24, maybe they could do that. Maybe Miami, uh, maybe the jets, but more than likely not. But, uh, you know, with Najee Harris, he's, he's a guy that continues since he got there as a five-star guy, was not impressed early on, and then got better as a sophomore, got better as a junior, and then even better as a senior. I think what helps Najee Harris more than anything is how good he is in the passing game. He looks like a wide receiver out there catching the football. Um, he's a power back, but he also has patience and quickness. Uh, th there's a lot of Matt Forte to Najee Harris, just missing that, that long speed element. You don't see a lot of big plays from Najee Harris in terms of, you know, 50-yard runs, 60-yard runs, uh, like Matt Forte did. But a lot of the rest of it is, is pretty similar. And then with ETN, I, I think you have to just uh, – uh, it comes down to your comfort level with him on third downs. Uh, how comfortable are you with him as a blocker? And then they really made it a point to get him involved in the passing game as a receiver uh, the last two years. Uh, and he, he had, I think, 102 catches in his career – at Clemson so you know plenty of experience he got better in those areas he's a little bit more of a home run threat and there's a lot of lots like about both these players I think Javante Williams from North Carolina you could probably even throw him in that mix three running backs who are going to come off the board somewhere in the top 40 45 picks are the best scouts that you know Dane saying hey we could really take advantage of no combine and no personal workouts no single team workouts because we can see through all of this. We trust our film evaluations. We can take what we need from pro days. Uh, do you think the cream rises to the top here, or do you think that this levels things out for everybody in a way that's dangerous to the, to the best teams and, and gives uh, teams without the, the great scouts an advantage? I think the team, the scouts that are feeling the most confident right now are the ones who have, who have been around a while and have that long – uh, you know, library of contacts at these programs, because that's that to me, that's the biggest disconnect here is 
instead of being on the road on campus talking to the strength coach talking to the trainer talking to the janitor the secretary just getting all the information possible on these players you know who's the first one in who's the last one out uh how are they, how are they you know treating the staff how are they in the film room all these different details you know, the, teams have been able to get some of that information because they've set up Zoom calls with, you know, trainers and things like that. But there's, you know, 50 players or 50 other team or 50 other scouts from different teams on those calls as well. So you're not necessarily getting the intimate knowledge. But so the guy, the scouts that have been around a while that have these contacts, have that network with these different uh, college programs, they're the ones that are feeling a little more confident right now about, okay, we found out that, you know, this guy really doesn't love football. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that is really talented, but it's going to take a lot of motivation to get him to play at his peak and, and different things like that, where maybe another team is not able to get, uh, you know, that to that extent, uh, that knowledge. So I, I think the teams that are, have a really experienced staff are feeling the most confident right now. So one more for you, Dana, we'll let you go, but I want to follow up on that idea of scouts, and a player and look at Isaiah Wilson and what happened with the Titans draft pick of him and how that's just a complete and epic disaster uh, in two different places. Miami cuts him also. When you see a story like that, and I know you evaluated Isaiah Wilson, is the first thing that comes to mind is the team was given bad information with people in that program. Is it the team didn't do their homework or is it, boy, that's just a complete shock and the kid fooled everyone while he was in college. Where does your mind go when you see a story like that? I mean, it's got to be a little bit of everything, right? I mean, it, it's because I, I, I don't want to say like the Titans didn't do their homework, but, you know, because I, I have no doubt that they they did. But to the extent that this just nosedives so quickly, it, it's just we've never seen anything like it. Uh, but, you know, I, and I, so I, I know myself, I went back to my notes on Isaiah Wilson and I'm reading quotes from you know the offensive line coach and you know he's saying uh you know this i love this kid and you know he, he's so talented and you know i can't wait to see what he's going to be in the nfl and it's all positive stuff and you know I, I think that next time you uh you know talk to that offensive line coach who's now the head coach at arkansas uh you know I, maybe you think twice about the information he's given you um and so i think that's really what it comes down to is knowing what to trust who to trust um, and I, I think it's really going to be interesting to see how that situation affects teams this year with having not having the, that one on one. That's why the senior bowl was so important, because teams could be one on one with these guys down there in Mobile. That was really their only opportunity. Um, you know, the pro day, a little bit of that. But you're not allowed to take these guys out for dinner or, you know, have the intimate one on one time that you're usually allowed to have, uh, especially with the, the 30 visits and the things like that. So. This year is just so different. It's a little tougher to get to know each one of these players. So there might be a, a more uh, of a margin for error here uh, in terms of not fully understanding the person, uh, even if they have a good grasp of the player. So it's going to be interesting to see if there is a ripple effect here, how that Isaiah Wilson situation affects teams and how they draft this upcoming year. Dane, you've, you've ranked over three drafts worth uh, of players with, with the beast at the athletic uh, who is, for, for you, that, that, uh, there are always players that you're going to do hundreds of these interviews and you're never going to be asked yeah. about a player that you love, that you love on day three. Who is yeah. a stand-on-the-table player that you would be vouching for if you were in a, in a draft room in three weeks? Uh, well, okay, I'll give you a guy this year who's really, really intriguing. His name's Jacob Harris out of UCF. 
uh, he's he was a big time soccer player. He grew up wanting to play MLS and you know be a uh, you know this this uh, you know a big time soccer player. He actually played all through high school. He had a, a, a soccer scholarship to Florida Gulf Coast. His senior year of high school, they coaxed him out to the football team and say, just try it, just try it. So he plays one year of football basically as a safety. Uh, he goes to Florida Gulf Coast to play soccer. And after a week, he's like, you know what? That, 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 there was an itch there. I kind of like that football thing. So he walks on to Western Kentucky. Uh, it, it doesn't work there. So he goes home, walks on at UCF. And they turn him into this wide receiver, tight end hybrid, 6'5", 220 pounds. And at his pro day, he blew it up. 4-4-0 in the 40, uh, 6-5-1 in the three cone, which is just silly. 40 and a half inch vert. You see a guy on film who is is a budding talent. There, There's a lot of ability there. Um, not, didn't get a combine invite. He's flying under the radar. But if we're day three and I have, if he's on the board in the sixth round, I'm, I'm taking a swing. I'm taking my chance on a guy with those types of traits. Uh, he had eight touchdowns last year. Uh, more drops than you want to see. But, you know, he's. I, I think he's a guy that can get better in that area. I think there's a lot of ability there. He played special teams, had 10 tackles. So, in my mind, in the sixth round, at worst case, I feel like I'm getting a good special teams player, but also a guy that there there's something more there. And I think we can get it out of him and maybe even be an impact player for us down the road as a hybrid tight end, uh, big slot receiver. For those watching, uh, listening to the podcast, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you get The Beast with your subscription. Check it out at The Athletic. Dane Brugler, you can follow him on Twitter, at DP Brugler, and check out the draft guide, which is phenomenal. Dane, you are very generous with your time. For that, we appreciate it. We love this time of year, and uh, hopefully we get to chat with you very soon. Thanks so much. Always enjoy uh, joining you guys, so anytime. Appreciate it. Dane Brugler there. We have a, a common relationship with the great CEO Bricado uh, here in Nashville Late, who passed away, what, five years ago now? Six might years ago? Yeah, yeah. Might, yeah, you're right. Uh, longtime scout for the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Invented Titans. Invented the three-cone drill. Yes, he did. And uh, CEO, one of the mentors for Dane Brugler, uh, who all, well, every time I see him, I think, man, he looks a lot younger than what He's he is. He's getting younger. You would think that, that he putting seems to be together a 600-prospect <laughs> book would age a guy. You would yeah. think so. Yeah. It, it's incredibly thorough. I, I don't know that you could read the whole thing between now and the draft. Uh, I mean, you might speed read it, but you're not going to digest it. Um, so I, I, like you uh, guys, constantly go back to it, go back to it, go back to it. You know, it's a reference. It's a reference book. It's very uh, good. It, it's, it's just ter- terrific. Um, Give us some feedback on that through uh, Outkick360 on Twitter, at Outkick360. You can uh, give us your take on what you heard Brugler say about a first-round talent. Maybe you've seen Jacob Harris play. And we should unpack some of it. I mean, how about the Sam Pittman review? I'm about to tweet that. Yep. uh, He didn't name him. I'm naming him. I've got a lot of issues (laughs) with that Georgia program and and some of the stuff that's uh, happening there. So we can discuss. During the break, Chad, I want to see if this Masters jacket, the green jacket, which we will award to our – 360 Masters champion uh, coming up on June 10th at Top Golf. I want to see if this jacket behind behind us will will fit you. And here, who looks better in this jacket, me or Dustin Johnson? We'll find out in the break. We already know the answer. And here's one sad thing about the break: uh, we go silent because Hutton, as he puts this jacket on someone, sings a song kind of like the Miss America song when she's crowned. And so you'll have to envision Hutton singing. 
you know, something like, here he is, Masters Jacket winner. Goes kind of like that. I kind of ruined the silence. For <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. Uh, so if you're watching on the stream, stay tuned. Uh, we award and <laughs> we try to. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we don't have the the small coat. This is a very small jacket that I, I ordered for our Masters champion. We're about oh, to find oh, out. Ruin that song and the tea. 